This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Listeners, today is a special day. For the past two and a half years, through 78 episodes, and after more than 29,000 downloads in more than 70 countries worldwide, we were called the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Our vision was a thousand points of light. Our mission was to give full voice to innovative, imaginative, and creative educators from across the Hawaiian Islands. Today, I am excited to announce that we are now called, simply, the What School Could Be podcast. Our vision is the same, but our mission has changed to include remarkable educators from both Hawaii and the rest of the world. So let me introduce this series again. Hey everyone, this is the What School Could Be podcast. I am your host, Josh Rapoon. Today, my guest is Shiloh Francis, a remarkable educator at Hawaii Technology Academy, known as HTA. She is a national board certified teacher with a BA in American history and a master's in teaching. Both of her degrees are from the University of Hawaii at Manoa. During her master's program, Shiloh conducted research in historical inquiry and how concepts of philosophy and critical thinking can be applied to the social studies. During her undergraduate and graduate work, she traveled and studied abroad in Germany and the United Kingdom. Shiloh did her student teaching on Oahu at Kailua High School, engaging kids in global studies and AP psychology. Her first teaching position was at Castle High School, where she taught courses named American Problems, the Modern History of Hawaii, U.S. History, and Participation in Democracy. Today, Shiloh is on the faculty at Hawaii Technology Academy's Honolulu campus. HTA has seven campuses on four Hawaiian islands and is a blended learning program. Shiloh is my fifth interview of HTA faculty. Each of these HTA educators brings such unique talents to their teaching and leading. They all know what school could be. At HTA, Shiloh teaches United States history, government, and world history. In this position, she has developed a blended learning and all virtual cohort curriculum focused on project-based learning that integrates Hawaii core standards in social studies. She has leadership roles in the teacher leader cohort and center for love and justice cohort at HTA. In a remarkable series of compliments, Shiloh's school director, Matt Satello, said she lives concerns about race and social justice. She empowers her students to a high degree and believes deeply in deeper learning. Matt said if he was starting a new school, Shiloh would be, and I quote, a first pick for his startup faculty. And now, here's my conversation with Shiloh Francis. Shiloh, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. You're going to be the first episode of 2022, Shiloh. So this is a very special moment. Thank you for doing this with me. Super exciting. So Shiloh, it appears that in 1998, if I have the date right, 
you were a first-team all-star cross-country runner out of Kalani High School here in Honolulu. <laughs> so I, I too, was a distance runner low those many years ago, decades ago, back in the 1970s. And I have very clear memories of what it felt like to run and sometimes run like the wind, which you clearly did given your all-star status. So what <laughs> what was running to you, Shiloh? What did it mean in your life? What did it feel like to run? Wow. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> this is going way back. Yeah. Well, when I was a freshman, I didn't really have my place at my school yet, at Kalani High School. And I heard an announcement that they were looking for more runners for the, the team. And the tryouts were that day. So I literally called my mom from the payphone because that's what we had back then. <laughs> and I said, can you pick me up a little bit later? I want to try out. You know, I just figured I'd try. But I was wearing the wrong kind of shoes anyways, the wrong outfit. But I like probably denim shorts or something. And I, I just did it. And I, I, I ran fast. They were impressed. They were like, join us. And so that became the next four years was that team, that camaraderie. So it wasn't just about like the running, but it was about the team and like being a part of something. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was a senior, I was the team captain and leading the, you know, stretches and planning out where we would run each week, the coach. And so it, it was really fun. Mm -hmm. But the, the experience of running itself, you know, you have to plan out your run. So I can, I can kind of see a correlation with like me being a planner. <laughs> with, long, with long distance, you can't, just, you can't just take off. You'll exhaust yourself. Yeah. You have to start, you know, you have to start with the pack. Mm. Otherwise, you'll get way behind. But you don't want to like burn out in the first you know, a couple of minutes and you want to keep pace with others that are in your peer group. So you need to either pace with the people on your team that are your same pace or pick somebody that also is a runner on another team you, that you've raced against before. Mm. And you can really excel that way. Mm. So that's kind of exciting. And then, you know, the last few minutes of the race is where you really pick up that pace. Right. So it's, it's kind of, that's kind of a fun analogy. Yeah. You know, way, way back when I was in top shape as a runner and I was actually living in San Francisco, I heard about this race called the Beta Breakers, which apparently, you know, at that time I didn't know what it was, but it, it went from the docks in San Francisco over the top of the city and ended over mm -hmm. at Ocean Beach. And I had a friend drop me off and I was wandering around downtown trying to find the race. And all of a sudden I heard a gunshot and I turned around mm. and that was the start of the race. It was coming out of oh. a side street and I was standing in the front of it. And then <laughs> so I just took off like a jackrabbit. I had nothing else to do except get run over or run. And so I ran, right. I ran like the wind you know and that was that was really one of my most fun running experiences because i really was sort of a, a pace maker if you will or a pace setter and um, although of course all the elite runners went by me pretty quickly it was it was a blast and i just look back as you probably do on running as a very special part of my life 
Mm-hmm. It's something that I carry with me. So that's great. Yeah. So Shiloh, you are, I know this is an abrupt shift in direction, but you are a, a <laughs> national board certified teacher under yes. the category social studies and history plus adolescence and young adulthood. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm a big fan of deriving meaning from things rather than just describing things. So what does it mean to you to be a national board certified teacher? Like what is the meaning of this designation, this certification in the greater arc of your life? It means, you know, it's not just a certificate. It's not just, you know, something I put on my email signature. It's definitely a lot more. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work to initially be certified. And then I just renewed Mm -hmm. in 20, like the school year of 2020 and got my renewal 2021. And that was a really hard year to renew being, you know, with the pandemic and all virtual and having to, you know, have less contact with my students. And so I had to sort of pick and choose what I would highlight about myself in that year. Mm -hmm. It means you are a highly reflective teacher. Mm. I think that's what it means to me because, and you're, you're ready to pivot and go with the flow and just be student centered. That's always the emphasis of what they ask in their questions or what they want to see in your videos. They want to see student engagement. Mm -hmm. So if you can address that in everything you do in not only in the classroom, but in leadership positions in your school, in just how you work with parents and families and the community, how do you get students engaged? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's being reflective as a teacher and yeah, trying to engage students, I think is the answer. So if if an educator asked you like, what does it mean to be reflective as an educator? Like, and maybe as an educator, I'm not really sure, you know, what that looks and sounds and feels like to be reflective. So what, what was it during that process for you? How, what did it become for you over time being that reflective educator? I think when you sit down and like watch yourself teach, because part of it is you videotape yourself mm. and you, you have to watch what you do and how the students respond. And you basically transcribe what you did in that lesson. And then you start to see things and maybe even hear kids like side talk or whatever, like you get to then address every aspect of that lesson with very detailed questions about how students were engaged. Mm -hmm. And so that is part of the process, the reflective process when you're actually writing for your national board certification. And then you also need to, to showcase who you are you know, outside of the the classroom too, in your, in your school community. Mm. And so reflecting on that and then realizing like, oh, I, maybe I need to do a little bit more in order to gain that Mm -hmm. aspect. Maybe I'm missing something here or there, or especially when you renew, they, they want you to identify not just what you did in like the last year, but the the Mm -hmm. 10 years since your renewal. Mm -hmm. So you really have to reflect on your your entire time and your process. And in order to know that, it sounds like you have to be an educator who actually keeps an archive of who you are and how you're growing over the years, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. They encourage you like right away as as soon as you certify to start collecting your data. <laughs> mm. And and I can imagine that over the years that process of collecting data influenced you as an educator in terms of how you have your students collect an archive of who they are and what they know and what they can do over the years. Yeah. yeah? Right? Yeah, definitely. And and thinking about just as opportunities come up, I, I knew like oh, I, I could use this for when I want to, re- when I need mm, to renew, right. you know? So like it becomes part of the process. You don't just, if you don't renew, you don't, you lose that title, you know, you don't, you, you wouldn't be considered nationally board certified anymore. So right. you, you definitely want to keep going. <laughs> right. Right. That's awesome. I, I, I love that process. And over the course of doing this podcast for two and a half years, I've come to know the the NBCT thing pretty well because I've had a number of them as guests mm-hmm. and I'm I'm so impressed with that reflective process and the idea that as an educator you can never be static you always have to be growing you always have to be shifting your ground so that you're meeting the students where they are and for what they need right Exactly. Yeah. So Shiloh, as I prepared for this interview and sifted through all the supporting materials you provided me, two themes kept coming up over and over, which is confidence and trust. So Mm. you even shared a student reflection letter in which a young woman named Jade talks about ways you helped her build trust in herself. And I found Mm -hmm. that letter deeply moving. And so I found myself wondering, Shiloh, like, why do you, a history and government teacher, care so much about your students' confidence? Like, why do you care that they trust you and themselves? As a teacher, I'm not just teaching, you know, some historical facts. Mm -hmm. Students can Google that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm helping to build the future, to build up students, to build up their confidence, to have trust in themselves, to have trust and in each other and to learn from each other and with each other and with me basically as the uh, helping facilitate and coach them through their learning. I don't want to be the one just telling them a bunch of historical facts at the front of the classroom. I I want them to be diving in themselves. And so they, they have to learn how to trust themselves in that process and trust that they can be really creative in it. Mm -hmm creative in their own learning. And and when you notice that a student, any particular student or maybe even this young student Jade, mm-hmm. when you when you notice that they that they're growing in their confidence, what is it that you're seeing? Like what what's the efficacy of that moment? What's the evidence that you gather that suggests that a student is growing in confidence or they're starting to trust themselves in it to a greater degree? I think it's at my school, we encourage a lot of communication with the teacher and they can email us and, and Google chat us and, you know, talk to us and have student support. There's a lot of office hours for that. And a lot of times if I notice a student 
being a little less confident, they might email me a lot (laughs) or they're having me check their work or they're second guessing like, what do you mean by this on the rubric? Or can you check my answer to see if it's right? There's not always a right answer when you're analyzing or critically thinking about something, if you're trying to show multiple perspectives. And so I think that when that starts to roll back and they start to just go with it, I think that's when I know that they've gained confidence. Mm -hmm. When I start to see them trusting in their own process and in their own learning. So in some ways not hearing from them could be evidence (laughs) that they're growing. In some ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now that's not for all students. That's for ones where, you know, they, they need that little confidence boost that they, Mm -hmm. they can trust, trust the process. Well, some, I definitely want to hear from them more and have more communication. (laughs) Right. Right. But I can see where there's a process that, you know, starts with communication and starts Mm -hmm. with relationship building. And then over Mm -hmm. time, as that trust is built on both sides of the aisle and the confidence is gained, then you might not have as much communication because they're kind of flying on their own as they go forward. Right. So that must be, I would, I would wonder just how wonderful that feeling is when that happens Do you. And it must happen very sort of on a strange timeline, right? Shiloh, because every kid is different, you know, what, what, what's that like? And it, it, it kind of has to happen fast in my classes because I teach semester courses. Mm, right. <laughs> teach, I'm trying to teach, you you know, U.S. history and world history in semesters. It's tough. But I usually start with a project-based learning unit to get that going. And then we bookend with one, you know, at the end. Mm-hmm. And so I can really see the growth over time when, when I have the two. Mm. And I might have like smaller projects in the middle just because that's my time time crunch. But when they have more time to dive into a project mm. and answer, you know, basically an essential driving question mm-hmm. that, that, that they get to choose, it's, it's fun to see them, it, their excitement and engagement. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, and I was actually going to ask you this question, but in a way you've you've sort of mm-hmm. answered it already. My question was going to be like, what are a couple tools in your ideas toolbox you use to build both confidence and trust between you and your students? And it sounds like opening, for example, a history class with a project rather than attaching it later once you've started to, you know, in a traditional sense, deliver content that that's mm-hmm. one of the techniques that allows you to begin to build a relationship with them right out of the gate. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, we have time to meet with our students, um, you know, during our longer class days when we have face-to-face, but then virtually or during student support, I can work one-on-one with students. Like I might put students in a breakout and check in on each student or their group And they told me like that, I've asked them, I'm like, is this worth it? Like, should we have breakouts where I give you like more targeted feedback and talk to you about your project? And they're like, yes, you Mm. you have to keep doing that because um, that's where those, the conversation gets deeper, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, 
Shiloh, this is something I want our listeners to hear really loud and clear. You know, we, you know, at, at at what school could be, and you know, which is comes out of the film Ted Dentrisma's film, most likely to succeed. There's mm-hmm. this kind of overarching idea of small steps lead to big change, and mm-hmm. as a, as a history teacher or a government or civics teacher, just that small idea of starting with something that's project based rather mm-hmm. than attaching it at the end or making it, you know, the culmination of a of a semester is is a small step, but it's a really significant step. And it sounds like like are there other steps that you can think of that you have implemented out of your toolbox that help yeah. build build I, this confidence and trust? I think, well, you just made me think of like the feedback is so mm. important during a project, a PBL project-based learning project, because I've asked them too. I'm like, when when do you prefer feedback? At the end or in the middle of the project? And they're like, by far, we don't really care at the end. Mm. Um, I mean, they care about maybe the final grade, but that's not like the feedback that they're looking for. The the yeah. development over the process yeah. and guiding them towards their, you know, outcome is really mm. The, the most important part. So building the tools in there, I, I like to, another tool is peer feedback, you mm. know, with different protocols where they, it's really designed where they step-by-step, step, okay, now this is what you do. And this is, this is the targeted feedback that you're giving mm. to that, that person. They, they're looking for feedback on their initial idea. Yeah. Or they're looking at feedback on their writing you know, or they're looking at feedback on their thesis statement. So yeah. it's it's kind of that that targeted, and they they learn to help each other in that way too. Yeah, in uh, in edu speak, there's a couple of protocols. One is called problems of practice. The other, mm-hmm. which is almost the same as a tuning protocol. And yep. as yep. educators, we think, oh, we use those amongst ourselves during professional development. But why can't kids be using those protocols as well? Oh yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I also wanted to share with you, Shiloh, that just very briefly that I was, I team taught U.S. history with a colleague when I was at Iolani School, and we made the same decision. We decided to start the U.S. history class. We, we, we literally put all 30 of our students together in the same room, and we took uh, my colleague's life just a hundred different artifacts of his life, a set of keys, you know, a letter from somebody, a picture, and we stuffed mm-hmm. it into a shoebox. <laughs> and we put the shoebox in the middle of the room and we had the kids uh, group up into groups of three. And then we just put the question up on the board, which is, who is this person? Mm. And for two days, we let them do that. There was no syllabus. We didn't read the rules of the class. We didn't do any of that stuff. We just opened with that question. And uh, the place went kind of bonkers for two days. <laughs> 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 as they tried to figure out who this person was and and you know to describe that person's life. So I think that's awesome that you're doing that and and um again it's something that our listeners can walk away with and say yeah that's something that I can implement. So that's great. Mm-hmm. So hey everyone, stay with us. We will be right back with more questions for Shiloh Francis. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. 
It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, friends. This is Toy Hirschman from EntreEd. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, we are back with Shiloh Francis, a U.S. and world history and government teacher, guide, coach, and mentor at Hawaii Technology Academy's Honolulu campus. So Shiloh, Hawaii Technology Academy is a, is a blended learning program with seven campuses on four islands in Hawaii. I want to talk about a paper you wrote for a professional learning course you took. In the paper, you described in great detail your journey to HTA and how you adjusted your teaching in what seemed like a hundred ways to meet the opportunities of a program which includes both synchronous and asynchronous, individualized and collaborative learning and relies a great deal on students' parents becoming learning coaches. So the first Mm -hmm. of my two questions is, for our listeners who don't know, what is blended teaching and learning? What does it look and sound and feel like? Blended learning is combining face-to-face instruction with live virtual teaching and independent coursework. So students are on campus. Our learning center is what we call it for the high school level. So I teach the high school, but we are a K through 12 school mm-hmm. for the islands. And in that way, this, the students are on campus at the learning center two days a week. And we see them like kind of traditional where there's block one, block two, they have lunch and advisory and then block four and five. So we have that targeted face-to-face time with them. And then uh, one day a week, we are virtual where students um, are coming to Zoom and we can see them in terms of I can deliver direct instruction if I need to, or I can have them in breakout rooms and working with their teams and groups, or, you know, we can do some other interactive virtual lesson. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other days of the week, they're working independently and they can come to office hours to get extra help and Mm -hmm. student support. So the, the learning coach is highly involved as well in this process because they are there to help support the student, not deliver content, but help support and make sure the student is set up for success, you know, getting to the campus on time, making sure their home environment is conducive to zooming into class and uh, effectively turning in their work. They, They can also, some of the days are flexible, so they might be able to have experiences and go out into the community We have tons of career-based learning opportunities and internships. So students can use those independent days to work on their, at their internships and with the community partners. Mm -hmm. So it's really neat. It's 
super flexible in that way. So that's how the blend kind of works. And how did your husband, you have three kids, so how did your husband become your young son's learning coach for kindergarten? Like, how's, how's that working out? That's working out really great. I mean, I would love to be his learning coach, but I'm a little too busy during the day <laughs> teaching my own students. Right. So with with my husband's schedule, it works for him to do all the drop-offs, the pickups, and really work one-on-one with our son. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also have a, a, a three-year-old that's really picking up what on the independent days, what our kindergartner is learning. So that's kind of cool too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, so... I get all the emails and stuff and I kind of help support on, on that end to make sure like, Oh, you know, what do we need to print out this week and help? But my husband's doing the day-to-day stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he leaves like the fun crafty projects for me because I enjoy doing that. (laughs) Right. Right. Is there, is there specific training that HTA does for its learning coaches? Yes, there is. In order to, even start the enrollment process, you need to attend a parent like enrollment to Zoom to, to make sure that, well, it, in the past we had them live too, but right now yeah. parents are coming to these meetings and making sure that our school is the right fit for them. Because as you can see, you have to kind of have that flexibility. Mm. Then once they are in our school, there, there is learning coach 101 trainings. There's, mm. you know, deeper dives into lots of different things that learning coaches might need. Even just if coaches are having trouble with learning all our different platforms or just how to turn things in on Google or whatever it might be, mm. there's a lot of training that they can get. And mm-hmm. then they can also just reach out to the teachers for whatever is needed too. So there's a lot of you know, back and forth and support if Mm. there is ever needed. And since the role of any coach anywhere is partly to listen and to find out what's going on with the player or the student or whatever, it sounds like HDA has developed a pretty unique feedback loop. So you learn a lot from your learning coaches about what's happening with your students and their lives and what they're going through. Is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I, I feel like I'm a better teacher at HTA now that I have one of my children there too, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I can, I can see the whole circle of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really nice. You know, I, I also really like our, our core values in terms of how I use them as a teacher, but I like to see them coming to fruition in my own child. Mm. So, you know, collaboration and communication, critical thinking, creativity and character are kind of embedded in mm. everything that teachers are trying to do and students are trying to do and, and what we want students to reflect on. Yeah. And I can imagine our listeners are probably all collectively thinking right now, wow, HTA must have been pretty uniquely positioned when the pandemic began because you already really had a program that was partly virtual Anyway, yes. right? So that it must have been encouraging, I guess, to the faculty across the seven campuses that you had an infrastructure in place that was was able to meet those challenges at the time. Yeah, I mean, we I, I'm very thankful because we really could just transition in terms of our communication with our families and our students. You know, we already had 
Zoom as a platform, which was on, you know, people that wasn't as common before, (laughs) but we were already using it and it it was a much smoother transition. It it definitely wasn't easy, but it it was. For your students, I'm glad that that was the case. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so Shiloh, years ago when I was teaching history, economics, wine studies, I found myself inviting my students into the process of creation, meaning more and more they played a role in helping me and our learning community decide what to learn, when to learn it, and how to learn it. And mm-hmm. you, you two appear to value a high degree of transparency between you and your students. In effect, you've been inviting them into the creation process, which is significant. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for more than 100 years, teachers have been the sages on their stages and roles that mm-hmm. are both matriarchal and patriarchal. So you appear to value a different role. So what is that role and why do you value it? I, I definitely value hearing from the students and what what they think. I, I Student choice is a big part of all my project-based learning projects. Mm-hmm. And, and not just their choice on their their choice on topic, how they want to execute and and create their projects, who they want to present to. I sometimes ask them that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I think to me is super valuable because it does address that student engagement. If you can get them to be excited about what you're teaching and learning, then mm-hmm that just makes things much smoother Mm -hmm. in the whole process. And to the educator that you might be talking to or having coffee with who is not at HTA and is nervous about that idea of, of enrolling the kids in the co-creation of the learning, like how do you start that conversation with somebody? What, what's, what are the first things that you can say that might ease you into a conversation with somebody who's feeling like that? Yeah, I I definitely, this wasn't like my approach to start, you know, Mm. (laughs) when I was still in my early years of teaching, I I kind of was, you know, still gaining my own feet. And I I was still asking, you know, a lot of teachers at my school, like, how how should I teach this or gaining my own confidence? And so uh, as, as time went on, I realized this whole reflective process of, in being nationally certified and taking it to that next step. So mm-hmm. how do you get students to want to and be excited? Give them that choice mm-hmm. so that they can feel like they want to do the research and they they want <laughs> mm-hmm. to be involved in their own learning and that they are excited about it. So I simply sometimes just, I, I might give them a survey. I'm at the end of the project. I might just ask them that day, like, how did this go? Or they might say something to me in the middle of going over something. And I go ahead and change the wording on my, on my document. And the cool thing is a lot of our stuff is turned in all virtually. So those changes can happen instantaneous. And I could say, everybody change the wording on your number five or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you need to, or I can comment on student documents and just quickly clarify something for them. So that, that immediate feedback is pretty cool. And that wasn't available before when I was having to make tons of copies of mm. everything and you know right. <laughs> prepare everything the day before. 
That's a great point. We're, you know, we're at a mm -hmm. time where the technology exists, where if you want to survey people for what they're thinking, good grief, there's probably 19 different options for that right now. Right. Yeah. And then I, I like to use another program, um, where the students can give feedback to each other, Flipgrid, where they can yeah. go and comment on each other's work right away. And I can comment on it too. And, and then I can see what by reading what they say, or that you can even, they could even video a little clip of themselves, but I can really see them interacting that way. And I, I'm learning from their feedback to each other too. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's giving me some vital information as well. Mm -hmm. And then I, I am, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm, I'm a, a part of this cohort. I'm not sure if I should talk about that yet. Yeah. We're, I was going <laughs> to ask you about that a little bit later, so we can hold off okay, on that. I'll That's wait. okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's definitely a segue into that coming up shortly. So you shared with me, Shiloh, some very big 30,000 foot level meta questions you're wrestling with, including, and I quote, how can I help empower students to be critical thinkers? How can feedback and putting students at the center help make teaching and learning more personalized and relevant? And I was like, dang, Shiloh, these are huge <laughs> questions. So I know you've, you've touched on it a little bit already, but I know your teaching is a never-ending journey. But what are some evolving answers to these two questions, answers that are coming both from your head and from your heart. Yeah, I mean, how how can you help empower students to, you know, be those critical thinkers? I think that stepping back in a sense and helping them, I think tying it back to what themes you noticed earlier was mm -hmm. helping them gain confidence and trust in themselves and trust in the process. I, my students right now are like, when's the due date for this project? And I'm like, I don't have one yet. I'm basing it off of what you guys need. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think it'll probably, we'll probably right, be wrapping this up in about a week and a half, but it's based on what you guys need mm -hmm. and, and the feedback and the time you're, you, some of you guys are in groups and you know, all of this. And, and it, it's kind of hard for them to trust that process because that's not something that they might be used to, but it's also in terms of preparing them for the future. Like that's, that's, what's going to happen sometimes when you're working with others, I mean, yes, in a job, you might have a due date or a deadline, but also when you're collaborating with other people, yeah, it might not be such a hard deadline and you need that time to work things out. And, and what you do in that process might be more creative than if you had just rushed it because you had this deadline, you know? So yeah. I think power, you know, power with the students and not kind of standing over them Mm -hmm. I, I love it when my administration or somebody comes in and is like trying to find me, but they can't because <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting down with the students yeah. and I'm right next to them. I love it. That yeah. happened the other day and I was like, I'm, I'm over here. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I love the idea that we collectively as educators would think about the differences between empower and engage. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of educators, engagement can actually boil down to entertainment. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you really think about the relationship between those two words, engage and empower, you really start thinking about things like student ownership and student voice and yes. real world learning. You're absolutely right right about the world. The world is all about ambiguity. And how do you learn mm-hmm. how to deal with ambiguity except by going through situations where ambiguity is required, right? And so I, I love that. And I love that you're putting your students in those positions where they have to wrestle with that stuff. Yeah. And it, it, like, I, I also have like maybe a list of some ideas I came up with for, for what they could do with the project for, for some choices. But then I, I always leave like a pick your own, like, a you know, show me, tell me your own creative idea and let's come up with the criteria together. Right. And, and the, the really cool thing is then, you know, I'll, I'll generally add that to the list the next year. And then I keep seeing more and more like added because the students just have all these great ideas. Mm. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I can imagine when they, you know, when the list is there, you've, you've reached a milestone moment when they don't feel like your pick is the pick that has to be the pick because somehow you're the person who's delivering the grade, right? And that's yeah. where that's where the trust is. You know, they're trusting that they they are empowered and that they're in control of their learning. So that's that's terrific. So, so Shiloh, I did an episode with one of your colleagues, Dr. Tammy Jones, and we mm-hmm. talked at length about something called teacher efficacy, or the idea that teachers change and grow because of experiences that show mm. in real time mm-hmm. evidence of, for example, twenty first century competencies like collaboration, communication, critical thinking, and empathy. Mm -hmm. So you shared a paper you wrote and a YouTube video you made about a moment when you (laughs) realized your students did not have these competencies as much as you thought they should. So Mm -hmm. what was your journey to shift your pedagogy towards a more relevant approach to history? And what evidence appeared that told you that you were on the right track? That's the teacher efficacy part, that evidence. So in... 2013 or something like this. I was teaching at my previous school, a public school here in Hawaii. And I came across this program. Actually, Tammy, Dr. Tammy Jones is the one that told me about it. Mm -hmm. It it was the Teachers for Global Classrooms Mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. And this is a national program that basically teachers from all over the country can apply. And then when they're selected, they go and they take a course on global education, learning about some of these very competencies we're talking about, right? So Mm -hmm. communication and investigating the world, seeing perspective, having students take action. Those are things I was learning in that course. And then once, once I took that, I went to a conference in Washington, D.C. and had more training and met people from all over the world, literally, because they brought in people from other countries, other educators. And then then they the program sends you out to a country mm. with a cohort of other teachers from around the United States. And you're immersed in that for, I did the summer program for this teachers for global classrooms. And within that, I was in the Philippines for three weeks and I was 
going to schools in urban Manila, you know, very urban. Then we went to public, private. Then we, two teachers each went to a different location within the country. So we kind of started with 13, then we went with two, and then we came back together at the very end. But I was in uh, Baguio City, and it's a a big city, but there's also a a rural area. So I got to see all kinds of experiences for students. Mm -hmm. And it just really, it, it made me learn and connect with what teachers were doing outside of the U.S. that was successful and maybe some of the struggles that they had that are similar to mine. So it just kind of really opened my eyes. So I think when it comes to, you know, then when I came back, that's kind of where I I think I started to see more of a shift Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I was already nationally certified at that point, but I, I also, it's just that continuing that reflection and trying to do opportunities that is going to help you grow and to learn. So Mm -hmm. that, that teacher efficacy, you know, is kind of evident in terms of like, you just have to keep pushing yourself with new opportunities that come your way. Mm. You've, you've actually added a, a marvelous layer to the conversation I had with Dr. Jones, which is that it's, it's not only just the evidence that's in front of you about your teaching and your experiences mm-hmm. with your kids, it's actually the evidence that you see in other teachers' classrooms. And that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a strong case to be made for traveling to other schools, even if they're a quarter mile away or they're thousands of miles away. It's worth it to do that kind of work because you gather evidence about what happens when teachers are really engaging and empowering their students, right? Yes. I mean, and I was meeting teachers nationally when I went. I was interacting with my cohort of like 13 teachers. I'm still in touch with a lot of them Mm -hmm. and seeing what they're doing. And, you know, we can continue this conversation now that it's been eight years or something since this trip. And so, and then of course, I was learning from the Philippines and with teachers, I was observing in their classrooms and I got to teach a couple lessons in their class, you know, so it was like a really neat exchange. So Mm. basically when you're a part of that program, you're considered a teacher ambassador and kind of there's this back and forth, you know? Mm -hmm. So by no means was I like an expert. I was going in there as a learner too. Yeah, That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. So Shiloh, we are at, from my perspective, a really weird moment in the history of this country. You know, more than at any point I can remember, both as a citizen and as a history teacher, millions of Americans seem to be in some sort of collective state of denial about all sorts of things, historical and scientific mm-hmm. and otherwise. And we can see <laughs> this with school board arguments over critical race theory and the 1619 mm-hmm. Project, et cetera. So mm-hmm. you you cite two books as important to your development as a thinker and as a history teacher. Mm-hmm. Lies My Teacher Told Me, Everything Your American mm-hmm. History Textbook Got Wrong by James Lowen, and A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. So how do you, Shiloh, navigate all this complexity with your students year in and year out? Like, what's your process for dealing with the hairy stuff that, you know, could result in parents emailing you or, or other sorts of things that are difficult to navigate? Yeah, I think, you know, there is all these 
sort of sometimes people would think it's like taboo, you know, kind of questions or controversial topics. But if we don't open up a dialogue and, and talk about these things and well, at least learn the facts about them, how can we ever have civil conversations? You know, we cannot just live our lives back and forth on social media, but I'm right, you're wrong and all this. Mm-hmm. Students have to understand what these topics are even talking about in, in order to be informed. So I definitely don't, you know, we don't debate these topics, but we we dive into what are they? So mm-hmm. even more recently, well, one of the perspectives I take when I teach my history classes is that we can learn from everyday ordinary people and what they said and what they did and and what it was that got them to take action and stand up for things. Like my students are studying progressive reform era right now and kind of tracking you know, a topic and an issue over time. And they're identifying what's changed and then what's still needs to be reformed about Mm. that today. Mm. And so this is how I I, I kind of, I I let them choose their topic so that they can be interested in it, but then they, they really need to see what, what that is. And then it's not just being presented to me or to each other. They, they choose they have to choose a child to present to, to inspire them to understand this and, and maybe take up this cause in the future. Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, our, our, our world, we, we need to start taking care of it. Yes. <laughs> and I want them to help inspire mm-hmm. others. Yeah, I love, I love that, Shiloh. I, I love the mm-hmm. idea that you don't have to debate everything. You just mm-hmm. want to understand things. Mm-hmm. And if that's all you're trying to do, then if you're just looking at the 1619 Project, it's not that you're trying to make them believe whatever that project wants you to believe. It's just that you're examining the facts of history. And you're going to exactly. come up with your own conclusions about that. And hopefully that will get us back to a place where we can actually talk to each other rather than separating. So, you know, thank you. I appreciate that you're you're navigating that kind of complexity. And mm-hmm. I just hope that our listeners hear that loud and clear because these are not things to run away from. They're actually things to run towards because they're opportunities to dig deep into what, what actually happened and, and what the meaning of things are. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Really looking at the, the multiple sides of a story. Yes. It's not just... Yes. One person, it's not just the, you know, the, the presidents or the, who's celebrated as the hero. Maybe they weren't such a hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was all the, the little parts of their lives that, yeah. you know, yep. how did they treat people? That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So, hey, everyone, stay with us. We'll be right back with more questions for Shiloh Francis. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you.
Aloha, my name is Aaron Shore, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at unrulr.com. Mahalo. As a What School Could Be podcast listener, I know you're curious about what's happening in Hawaii schools. This is Christy Oda, and together with National Board Certified Teachers, we launched Educators Edge, a new podcast that gathers innovative educators with diverse perspectives to collaborate around a topic of their choice. There's something so special about hearing teachers talk story about the work they do to transform education for Hawaii's young learners. I invite you to listen on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Anchor, or go to bit.ly slash educators edge to subscribe. Aloha and mahalo. Hey everyone, we are back with Shiloh Francis, who teaches United States history, government, and world history within Hawaii Technology Academy's blended learning program. So Shiloh, in this last section here, I want to dig into some things about you and your your pedagogy, your philosophy of education. So personal and professional development seems to be deeply embedded in your DNA. Today, there's only time to ask about one PD program <laughs> you are involved in and you're involved in a lot. So you shared with me that the, quote, Center for Love and Justice cohort is a group of K-12 teachers from around the nation. And it's a program facilitated by High Tech High's Graduate School of Education. And you're team leader for a group of Hawaii Technology Academy faculty who have formed a cohort that is facilitated by High Tech High. So it sounds like the pedagogy your cohort ex- is exploring is heavily project-based and focused on themes of liberation. And I want to inspire listeners to join a professional learning community. So kind of putting you on the spot here, Shiloh, here <laughs> as my, you're my pitch person. So based on your experiences, what happens to one's head and one's heart when one enters into such a compact with other educators, which is what a cohort really is? Like make the case to our listeners for me that being part of a professional learning community really matters. The word cohort, it, it keeps, it, it definitely has kept coming back up for my life. Like I, my master's program, I was in a cohort of other teachers and that's how I met Dr. Tammy Jones and many others that I'm still learning from and friends with and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I was in a cohort for the TGC program that I was just talking about, but mm-hmm. this one is really unique. I love being a part of this cohort from the Centers of for Love and Justice because it's not, the cool thing is it's not just with teachers, it's with students. Mm. So I love this cohort because it's this little tweak 
to not just talking about education and what you're doing in your classroom with other teachers. Like there's a lot of value in that and collaborating with other teachers. But when the element of bringing in students and their voice and what they care about and what they see as relevant and you are proposing a project-based learning idea to them Mm. and then they give you feedback, it's like a beautiful thing. Mm. So that's like what we've been doing this school year. And I feel like that's like the little tweak that I needed to kind of reinvigorate my excitement for teaching. And this has been a I have to say it's been a hard couple of years with um, teaching in a pandemic and you know, it's, it's not, it hasn't been easy. How do you engage students? And so, and and not just engage, but empower. I, I like what you said about that. So getting them and their ideas and their opinions, it's, it's really cool. So even, even on Wednesday coming up, I'm going to, as part of like my next step to build my next project idea, I'm, I'm supposed to bring along a student with me to mm. <laughs> talk and to give feedback. So that's, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the really neat thing is the students that are a part of this are a lot of them are in a internship with the Seeds of Peace, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion group. And so they're coming with this lens and perspective of how do we bring this more to our school? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're suggesting a lot of great ideas with that lens in mind. So, you know, what's coming through loud and clear here, and you're the best pitch person ever, um, <laughs> is, is really a two-step process. Step one mm-hmm. is find something that you want to be a part of and then be part mm-hmm. of it. And then step yeah. two is, if possible, be the agent of change for whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're part of by suggesting that students be a part of it, because that changes the the dynamic profoundly, it sounds like, right? Yeah, it, it really does. And I, I just, I don't even know why I didn't like I did those little, I did those little pieces before, but yeah. now it's like, I'm, I'm actually been part of this program. We did empathy interviews. That's like one of the first things we did. Yeah. And they said, okay, you're going to sit with a student and you're going to just ask them questions and write things down. And you're going to just listen, but listen with the lens of like, there's different lenses you can listen with. So Mm. are you going to listen with love or with, for the big picture, with compassion? Are you going to listen with curiosity, with hope? So like there's different lenses you can listen with. And then what, what we did with that interview, all the notes that we took was kind of created this visual representation on a little poster paper for the student and then presented it back to them. Mm. And That was like such a cool experience. I learned more about the student I interviewed and I've done this a few, few times after I've I've learned more about the students that I've interviewed in that 30 minutes than I might have when I had a student in my class the entire year. Wow. Wow. That's so amazing. I have goosebumps and I have a huge smile on my face and, you know, and (laughs) and thank you Shiloh for sharing Mm -hmm. a video with me, which I think is about seven minutes long. It was a gathering that took place at the Vi Vi Collective here in Honolulu. And wow, the energy coming off the screen was 
remarkable. And I guess the one downside of a audio podcast is that you can't see things like that. But but it's very clear in my mind what was actually happening there. And what's really sneaky about that video is that you don't know right away that students are part of it because they yes. look they look so polished and you know and mature and right. grown up. And then you discover like, wow, these people are students, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That was some of the comments by people that were, you know, not the teachers or students there, but they they saw what was happening. And that's exactly what they said. They couldn't tell the difference between teacher and student. Yeah. So it's crazy. That's a testament <laughs> to what was happening in that yeah. moment, truly. Yeah. So Shiloh, we've got a, a little bit more time. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a couple more questions here before we close up shop today. So I'm okay. going to share with our listeners that the Pacific and Asian Affairs Council is an independent international education nonprofit with a mission to promote understanding and empower engagement on global and international issues with special attention to Hawaii's role in the Asia Pacific region. And in mm-hmm. recent years, you were one of seven educators from whom PAC seeks advice on how to improve global education. PAC stated in a letter that it would not be able to reach its nearly 4,000 students annually without your dedication and service. So our listeners want to know, Shiloh, what (laughs) drives you to do this work? What is PAC getting done on the ground that matters so much to you that you would give of your time and your service in this way? So I've been advisor to the PAC club for the past five years. And Interestingly enough, part of my student teaching with my mentor teacher was to also teach a global studies class um, with PAC. So I I had foundations with PAC early on, Mm -hmm. kind of lost connection. And then when I came to my current school, you know, the, the relationship opened up again. And I just, I love the idea of, you know, getting students to talk about global global issues and put their minds together to solve some of those. So on our club-based level, we, we talk about especially the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And we look at a lot of those themes and, and come up with some ideas of what we can do and then try to implement teachings or we did a whole climate change simulation with students over a hundred of our students came and we put on this conference with PAC, mm-hmm. the, the PAC team. And so it's just that they also run global vision summits every semester. And lately that's been virtual, but hopefully we'll be back in person. But those connect students from all over the islands because they have global studies clubs and classes throughout all the islands. And so it brings the students together. They feel the energy together. They're learning together. And Mm. it's just like a really awesome experience to see it and witness when they start coming together. Mm -hmm. There's lots of other ways that they, not just in these like larger summits, but there's lots of other opportunities for students to Mm -hmm. dive into topics that they're interested in. So Giving my time in that way is, I'm really passionate about it myself. And if I can help develop that, that passion or give opportunities for students to, to do that themselves and share their own voice and ideas, 
our world's better for it. You know, what's coming through really <laughs> loud and clear, Shiloh, is that, yes, this happens to be pack that you're giving your time and energy to. But what, mm-hmm. I, what I'm picking up is that there's another thing you're giving your time and energy to, and that is that the process of learning is a process of being together with other people and doing mm-hmm. things together. And mm-hmm. whatever the circumstances are for, you know, you know the history of education that for more than 100 years, it's been such an individual pursuit where you're measured by a grade or a letter mm-hmm. or something or an SAT test. And what you're talking about here is a deeply collaborative process of learning that happens together with other people. Just the fact that it's PAC is just because you're super interested in global right. global issues, right? But really right. that's that's what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Collaboration. I mean, when you can collaborate with somebody else and and learn from and with them and like have an amazing outcome, that's, you know, helping students develop that confidence and those leadership skills. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. I'm going to be right there with them <laughs> and helping them. <laughs> and it's so cool because we're really kind of tying together the previous question about professional development and professional learning communities and what happens when you enter into that kind of compact with people. Part of that process becomes very collaborative and there's all the elements, even going back to what I asked you earlier about trust and confidence and you know that you trust people and that you gain confidence in working with other people, which is a real world thing that we got to be able to yeah. do better, right? Real world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my, my club students always joke that they got into the club because I like positive peer pressured them into it <laughs> to be like, this would be great. You would just love this. I mean, it's not just about, I'll write you a glowing recommendation for college, but I will, every step of the way, you're going to be a leader and we get to meet people and it's going to be fun, you know? So they, they always joke that I've, and and then I, and then I always say like, okay, go, go tap somebody else on the shoulder and do the same thing and bring them in and tell them how great it is. That always works. (laughs) Yes. And that's that's a message for educators as well. If you're doing something like project-based learning at the start of a history course instead of at the end, go tap Mm -hmm. the other educator across the hallway and say, hey, take a look at this. What do you think? You know, invite that person into the process. Oh yeah. Another huge thing, just these always share, share your resources, Mm. share with others, help new teachers gain that confidence too. I'm always sharing my stuff. I'm like, here, take it, (laughs) make it better. (laughs) That's, that's great. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) Shiloh. Thank you. So, so Shiloh, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I want to end by giving you an opportunity to shout out to someone very special in your life, your mom, Carol Richardson. You mentioned that she won a bunch of awards as a professor of nursing at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. What mm-hmm. was the essence of all of those awards? Sorry, this is a multi-part question. What, what, was, <laughs> what was the essence of all those awards? What tied them all together? Was there a common thread? And if yes, what was it? And, and who was she as an educator? Yeah, my mom retired from teaching just about two years ago after 
teaching for 31 years. And she set off to be a nurse at first. And then she realized, you know, she could be, she could be teaching future nurses. And I think that, you know, she really found her, her passion and niche there because I come from a family of educators, you know, my, mm-hmm. my mom's mother was a history teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. All of my aunties are history teachers. My dad's mother went to school to be a teacher. And so it runs in my family. I didn't ever think when I was going to school, I'd be a teacher, but Hey, here I am. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was in high school, I didn't think it, but, but for my mom, the essence of her I think she really connected with her students. They would always say like, oh, I just loved your stories and like how you brought things. Like she could really tell them, you know, how it it can be, how it's going to be. She linked them to experiences so that when they were out doing their clinical experiences, they they got that foundation of what they needed. Mm -hmm. And so she just was always, I guess, student centered. How about that? I think that's the essence I'm looking for. (laughs) (laughs) That's super awesome. And and in what ways was Carol Richardson, both your mom and your coach? Yeah. Well, I mean, just from, from the very get go, you know, helping what, when I was in college and my master's program, if I ever needed a paper edited, she was right there for me. I mean, I was literally studying abroad in London for a semester in college and I'd email her and I'd say, can you check this over before I just <laughs> submit it? And we're 12 hours difference, right? So, mm. but she did it and she did it right in time. And, but, you know, I also read every single word of her PhD. Mm. So I gave it back to her and helped edit her stuff. Mm. And so it was kind of cool because I was completing my master's when she was completing her PhD. So I I got to help her in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also shows a testament to being, being a lifelong learner too. It's, you know, she was a mom, but also still she has two masters and she got her PhD and she was always she still takes courses. And I'm like, you don't need to anymore, mom. Like you were tired. And she's like, oh, but I need, I want to just keep these continuing credits because, you know, she just wants to keep learning. So I, I mm. love that. Mm. <laughs> so, so it sounds like, you know, you're being a lifelong learner in your DNA. You come by that very honestly. It's uh, it definitely yeah. comes I mean, yeah, from her. Exactly. She, I, I've just, always witnessed and, and seen what she did. And so that is, I guess that's a really important thing to, to being a teacher is modeling what you would like to see and the outcomes. Yeah, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. So Shiloh Francis, thank you for spending this time today on the What School Could Be podcast. I hope you and your husband and your three kids, your little family, stay safe and in good health. And I wish you all the best for the rest of this 2021-2022 school year and on into the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and this time for reflection. My editor, creative consultant and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurahara. Our theme music comes from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, 
the remarkable pianist Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all the major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. This series is sponsored by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Follow us on Twitter at WSCB Podcast or at Josh Rapoon. Friends, even as COVID infection numbers decline, stay safe and please get vaccinated. Most of all, bring kindness and compassion into the world. We need a surplus of both right now. Until the next episode, ahui ho and take care. <laughs>